Training, mindset, integrity, incremental improvement. What can you do better today? Start right here with the Pendola Project. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Pendola Project. Man, I have some great guests coming in for you all after the COVID break. We've we had a little bit of time where we had to make do, and uh, we, I think we did pretty well with that. We had a lot of great feedback from you guys, and we were able to develop some some good podcasts based off your questions. But we've also been getting those requests for more guests, and here we have another fantastic guest today, Mr. Neil Fincher. Neil, how are you today, buddy? Doing great, Matt. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Thanks for being here. Well, you are already actually here for a couple reasons. So one, you are you have been a client of mine here at the gym for uh, quite a while, a couple of years now, yes? Yeah, three, three years in March. Three years in March. Beautiful. And uh, we'll get to some of your goals and, and why you train in here the way you do. But also even your girls trained with me many years ago. Now I'm really feeling like, geez, it's going full circle, isn't it? Yeah, it sure is. It sure is. Uh, but you were in here training also today. You were training me. So the roles have reversed. Now the the uh, student becomes the teacher. You are now my Krav Maga teacher, instructor. Yes? Yes, sir. So let's uh, talk to the audience a little bit about what you do with Krav Maga, what um, – what got you into Krav Maga in the first place, Neil? Yeah, I, I've been in martial arts most of my life. I started judo at about eight years old and had a martial arts school from the late 80s into the early 2000s and taught Taekwondo, got up to fourth degree in Taekwondo and was always looking, you know, for the answer for my students as far as, you know, preparing them for, you know, they're coming to a self-defense class to learn self-defense and a lot of the traditional martial arts it is that's not really the focus so i was always doing things on my own going to seminars trying to learn things to bring back to the school that you know that's more than the taekwondo and um they, there was a martial arts professional magazine that came out um you know we were getting it every month in the 90s mid probably started in the mid 90s and towards the later 90s uh, they did an article. They would just do articles on different, you know, different styles of martial arts, things going on, you know, just trying to get you to open the pages. And Krav Maga was one of the ones. They did an article. They did like three months in a row on Krav Maga. Um, and so I started reading that, and that's when they really just, just the words, you know, that hooked me about the way they taught and what they were teaching. And then I just jumped on. I told my partner, I said, I'm heading to L.A. Their uh, Krav Maga Worldwide is um, – the main headquarters for Krav Maga and the founder moved it to the U.S. with a guy named Darren Levine, who's an assistant district attorney down there. So I just jumped on a plane and went to watch class. And I went down there for three days on a weekend and came back and told my partner in our school that uh, Krav Maga was starting an instructor program. So they wanted to proliferate it and spread it across the U.S. So we were in the first two classes, actually. Wow. So one of the reasons why I was interested in Krav Maga is because as boxing was sort of my conditioning for a long time, I wanted to have a skill set would actually support my running, but be able to defend myself at the same time. Boxing seemed like some pretty good conditioning for me. So I was doing that and I enjoy that and I've continued to enjoy that. But truth is that 
I always felt a little bit vulnerable if I were to get into an actual street fight, not that I'm looking for one, but if it comes to you and, and you don't really have a choice, and we can talk about that because I know you have some strong opinions about why and uh, what you use your your knowledge for and, and, and why you teach Krav Maga to people. And um, it's certainly to protect our community, not not to... Um, you know, not to be harmful, but to be protective more. But we'll we'll talk about that in a minute. But I was interested, Neil, in how I could use a little bit more basic skill sets for if somebody were to try to choke choke me, or if I could do some very basic, keep it simple, stupid kicks. Now, as a endurance runner, I don't kick people in the head like my wife can. I, you know, it's not going to happen. So I, I like the idea of keeping things simple but with a purpose, and it sort of falls in line with how I train my athletes in here. Purposeful practice makes progress. And I feel like already, just with a couple sessions in with you, what I've learned, I already feel like I'm starting to understand how to protect myself in more of sort of a uh, – a street fight sort of situation, which is more than likely what situation I would be in, God forbid. So can you talk about that a little bit more and how you can teach an endurance runner you know, like me, who's quite, quite honestly not the most coordinated person in the world to, to actually be effective at something like this? Yeah, that, that's the very, that's the thing about Krav Maga that I love the most. Um, I was all, like I said earlier, I was always trying to teach my students you know this is self-defense this is how you do this let's do this that and then I, when I went down to LA and I saw what they were doing at, at the Krav Maga studio there it was the style it wasn't necessarily the techniques a lot of the techniques were things I'd been doing for years and years and years and it was more the way you teach the way you teach your students the way you set up a class the things you do in the class the mindset and you know to be frank you're in a self-defense school to learn how to defend yourself. If you have to fight, you want to you want to make sure your students know how to fight, and that's what I learned from the Krav Maga system. You, there's no wasted time in class. Everything in class is talking about the fight. What happens if somebody does this to you? What happens if somebody does that to you? What if there's imminent danger? What do you do? So it's the the style of training and the mindset. You know, just like you know, perfect ex example today. We did that uh, drill at the end of the class where. It was intense. It, uh, it, it makes you kind of nervous, and, you know, you're in there doing all this stuff and being attacked, and then you're, you're trying to keep it together, and you, you've got to just get that mindset, and that's what I was kind of telling you. You know, you can't say, oh, sorry I did that, or I didn't do that right. There's no right, there's no wrong. You, you know, if the fight happens, you have to go. I love that because, again, a, a similarity between our coaching styles in that I try to start to look with my athletes, especially as we get more into specifics about skill sets for their sports, that it's transferable. What we're doing in here is transferable. The, the athlete can get strong, but if they can't transfer that strength for their skill set, then it's really not serving its purpose, right? And with what you did with me at the end today was I wasn't ready for it. I didn't really know we'd be doing that. Um, and, of course, 
in my mind, I'm I'm thinking. I say the same thing to my daughter when she says, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry." When she's learning something, I say, "Don't say you're sorry. You're learning. Just learn." And I had to put myself into that basic sort of mental mindset: stop saying you're sorry, just do it. And so I was trying to just uh, go off of my instincts a little bit more. You had me close my eyes though, and I and getting those hands wrapped around my throat. It's just such a weird feeling. It's so you're so vulnerable, and then all of a sudden now you open your eyes and you just go. And I did notice, I don't know if you noticed, but I noticed as I went along um, after the first uh, you know, round of doing that, I started feeling more comfortable with it. But also um, I felt like when those hands were wrapped around my throat, just if you stick with the basics, if you just stick with what we've gone over and, and uh, understand that those basics are going to serve you the best, then you just go through those motions and it's kind of like when I learned CPR or when I eventually went on to, uh, to be an EMT paramedic, uh, you know, years ago when I was younger in the military and then uh, for hot shotting where they say, don't worry, even if it's been a while since you've done something that you learned, it'll come back to you right away. And I, I was kind of thinking, geez, it really does. My, my daughter actually had, uh, she was choking a few weeks ago and all of a sudden everybody realized that she's choking my my wife you know looks at me and i could see the look on her face she was horrified and i look at mia and i realize in that instant that she's choking and she can't she can't swallow and you know so i performed the heimlich and as simple as that was the first the first move I made it was just too gentle and I'm like this is you know this is my daughter but I just have to stick with what I know I'm supposed to I'm supposed to really give this a good strong thrust even if it breaks her ribs and I did and then you know out comes the food and and she was fine thankfully and I but I thought to myself wow like it's not that that was so complex to do it was a very simple uh maneuver to to learn years ago and then it just comes right back to you when you need it and i I don't know if that's a long way of saying though that i love your style of coaching because i believe in instinct i believe in just going back to the basics and doing what you've been trained to do that's why we train right exactly and that is what i love about krav maga that Way, that style of training you train with intent at all times and then so when you're put in these drills and these complicated situations you're you're practicing what you're going to do if something happens to you right the, you know the guy on the street who's bringing this trouble to you that's what they do right they they use intimidation they're expecting you to be fearful not to fight back and if you do they're going to beat the tar out of you they think so what you do is you, you know Krav Maga is real simple there's a threat you address the danger, and as quickly as you can, if not simultaneously, you do a combative attack back to the person, and you, you shock them. They're trying to shock you, and then you shock them back. And the thing is, is, most people who I'll be teaching and have taught over the years, many, many years, um, they're nice people. You know, they, I, I consider myself a nice person, and but... I want to be ready. You know, if I have to defend myself, my family, if anybody I'm around, if something goes down, I want to be able to make sure I can take care of that, that threat. And so the people who are coming in are really, really nice people, and really, really nice people don't know how to just go. You know, they can, they're going to, you know, what is it, flight, fight, or freeze. 
most people don't even run away. They freeze, right? So with Krav Maga, we teach them how to fight, right? This happens. You, you, do, you do the drill over and over and over. You put them in a scenario, scenario of high stress and intensity, and they practice that way. So like you said, you know, somebody just grabbing your throat to choke you. You do that over and over and over all around your body, different ways, different pushes up against the wall, up against the mirror, pushing you forward, pulling you back. You do it over and over and over. You're going to be able to handle any time somebody puts their hands on your throat. Yeah, and what I, I love about what you're teaching me so far is things that, again, are transferable, things that I can really use, Neil. I'm not – people my, – my wife got her black belt, as you know, and uh, in martial arts, and I'm, I'm so proud of her. It's, it's, it was an incredible journey, and, uh, and of course, she, she continues to, um, to escalate and to get better at her skill sets for her second-degree black belt. But that all being said – I'm not so much of a person that that um, wants to get a, a certain belt or to follow certain orders of movements. In in my mind, I just want to learn those basics, the Mr. Miyagi style, and uh, and that's all I want personally out of it. And there might be a day, one day, where I want to devote more of my time towards getting a black belt or something. But for me personally, I just want to be able to feel confident. And I think that most of us would just feel a lot less stress in if we were more confident in our ability to defend ourselves or others that we care about. And I think you just said something that was first time I think I've heard it that way. And I've always talked about flight or fight, but not freeze. So that's interesting because I completely understand that point of it too. We, we freeze when we're really terrified or scared about a certain situation. If somebody pulls a knife out on you, and you've never trained for that, and you don't have any idea what to do next, even if you're a pretty good boxer, right? Um, and that's, again, why I decided that getting into this was the next step for me. And also, I love what you talked to me about at the end of class to say, if you have time to practice this, practice this. But if you don't, you know, the skill sets do get better with the more classes we do together. Now, don't get me wrong. I will definitely put in a couple minutes of skill set work for Krav Maga in my own strength training routines between sets, and I'll get in maybe, say, 8 to 12 minutes of skill set work that you teach me. I'll try to do that often enough that I get better. But I love the fact that a lot of this does seem to be basic enough and also instinctual. So, again, yes, practice is good, but also I think it's um, it's more about keeping it organic. Is that true? Is that Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Yeah, certainly. The moves are definitely – everything we do is, you know, based off what, what what's going to happen when somebody, you know, swings a bat at you. What do you do? Your hands go up. When somebody, go, you know, swings – those a punch it your hands go up so we do a lot of you know the defenses are all based off that even the you know the simple thing that we've already learned is the hands to the throat um people choking in various ways um th- what we do is we bring the hands up because they automatically come up anyway so that's why you were doing the single arm pluck that's the only, that's what we've learned so far and then there's there's different things that will go along with that and you, we even change the style of of making a defense depending on your, whether you're being pushed or pulled and but the most instinctive thing to do, somebody brings their hands to your throat, so we bring our, our hands come up, and then we use that. We pluck one hand and strike the other guy simultaneously. You have such a varied background, Neil, so I'd like to talk a little bit about, first of all, you are 59 now, and, and we'll we'll post a picture up of you, but uh, 
I think you look younger than I do for sure. And you've taken really good care of yourself, but man, you have quite the, the background. You've always been healthy and fit. Um, I know you also have a, 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 a lovely family and you're really, um, you have a strong faith with your family. And that I think is at the core of who you are. And I really look up to that and respect that. I think that kind of altruism keeps you young, right? But I've always marveled, honestly, when I when I see you, I just say, I can't believe this guy is 59. It's, it's crazy to me. I, uh, I, I just honestly hope that I can keep moving uh, the way you do and honestly <clears throat> age the way you do. That would be that would be nice if I could do that. So um, tell us a little bit more, though, about your history, what um, what you originally did. I know you lived in Florida when you were younger and um, you end up moving out here and um, getting your degree and using that degree initially and then getting into uh, opening up that martial arts studio you talked about and, and now you're in real estate. So tell us a little bit about your journey, your process, but also how did this process ended up end up serving who you are today? Wow, that's a difficult question. <laughs> yeah, so... Um like Matt said, I was born in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, went to Florida, went to high school there, obviously, went to Fort, uh, Florida State University for a couple of years, a geology student, and my mom was living out this direction, my, my mother and stepfather and my little brother and sister down in Vegas, so my mom was always, you got to come out here now, we live out here now, so I would look for a school, and fortunately, UNLV did not have a geology program. And then I, I wanted to do, I get into geological engineering, so I, I got into Mackey School of Mines, and that's what got me to uh, the state of Nevada. And then I met my lovely bride today, Ellen, and that's kind of, I stayed here. And we loved Reno, obviously, and the outdoors and Lake Tahoe, but that was a driving factor of staying here as Ellen and her family, and I just loved, I, I just loved Reno. So I Graduated with my degree in geological engineering, worked for a couple of years for a local firm, and then we just really loved I was teaching Taekwondo, and I just loved it and decided I wanted to start a school. And very interestingly enough, um, we wanted to have kids a few years down the road, and I was thinking about going back to work, and then it just worked out perfectly that I could be Mr. Mom and stay with the kids. Ellen had three months off with each child, and then I was Mr. Mom, and she'd go to work. I'd take them to the Taekwondo school, teach my day class, clean the school, whatever I was doing in between before the, the big classes started in the afternoon. And by the time the kids would take one or two classes themselves, and then my wife would show up and pick them up. So it kind of worked out great as far as that goes. I, I ended up teaching those guys. Megan almost got her black belt. And, but they both did Taekwondo and Krav Maga, and, and, and it served its purpose. And then I, I got out of the school. I, I actually, you know, you don't know this part, but... I, we were teaching Taekwondo and Krav Maga, and I got to the point where I, I didn't want to teach Taekwondo anymore. It was like Krav Maga is what I want to teach. So I told my partner, I said, I want to just teach Krav Maga. So this was your school. You were my instructor when I got into Taekwondo in the early 80s, and I wouldn't teach Krav Maga in town with you teaching it. So whatever you want to do, if you want to keep the school, you go ahead. If, if not, I'm going back to the workforce. And uh, that's what I did. So I went back to... Uh, I started. I was a construct, in construction estimating for four years in the early 2000s, and got my real estate license in 2004 because a cousin said he's coming to Reno to buy some real estate. So go get your license, and that was 16 years ago almost. Wow. And uh, okay, so 
just talking about Krav Maga again for a minute, but you mentioned that your daughters learned Krav Maga and you also that you just wanted to instruct on, on that. So why is that? I know that you are not the type to say this is better than jujitsu or this, but why, in your opinion, is Krav Maga something that you're so passionate about um, to the point where that's all you wanted to teach? We had many students. You had a choice at our school. You could practice Taekwondo, Krav Maga, or both. So those were your choices. And I just stopped teaching the Taekwondo classes unless I, they needed a fill-in instructor, then I would do it. But I just I knew I wasn't teaching my students how to fight, about the fight. And that's what I want. I always wanted that. I always thought I was teaching self-defense. I was teaching what I was taught. I was teaching what I learned at a seminar. And once I learned, you know, how to teach Krav Maga, I felt like this is, if I'm teaching somebody Taekwondo, it's they're doing them a disservice if they think they're getting a self-defense class. Now, if they know they're coming in because they want to go to the Olympics and fight Taekwondo-style sparring and we're teaching that part of it, I understand. But And so we had that part of it. But I just got to the point where, you know, I don't, I just want a Krav Maga school. I just want, I think everybody coming in here should be learning Krav Maga. Yeah, no, I I love it. I, not that I know that much about it yet, but but again, it already already got got me thinking about uh, my own daughter. That again, I think talking with Aaron, I was saying maybe we could get her in with you and do some classes with with Neil because it's something that at, at the very least I think to add it to their skill sets, add it to what they're learning in jujitsu and martial arts, and I think that would be so beneficial. Because when I was, for example, just going through some movements with my daughter and she was learning her steps basically to do, right, um, for her test, for one of her belts, right? And I stepped to the left and she said, no, 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 you're supposed to step to the right so then I can do this. Like, okay, and I understand you're trying to learn a certain pattern, but also it gets me to think about, well, what if in real life it doesn't go that way? what do you do now? And I, I feel like there's not enough of that. And it seems like Kramaga answers that question. Is, am I right about that? Yeah, most definitely. The, the style of training is there's no, there's no right or wrong. The, the only wrong thing you could do is stop, right? Is, is, is stop and say, I made a mistake right in the middle of a drill instead of finishing it. And then afterwards reflecting on what you did. Cause you know, when, if somebody comes on the street and they, you know, they pull a knife on you, they swing a bat at you, they come from behind and give you a, get into your rear naked choke, whatever it may be, and you go to do the technique, you know, to address the danger, and you flub it, and you go, oh, my gosh. And in, in class, you keep doing that, and you're going, oh, my gosh, I, I made a mistake. Oh, sorry, I, I flubbed it, or you stop in the middle of it. Every time you stop in the middle of a technique, that puts that in your mind that if you do it wrong you stop so on the street what are you going to do when you're totally freaking out because you're being attacked you're going to do what you practice in class that's why that can't be that mistake cannot happen it'll take you about five or six times of me yelling at you about stopping in the middle of it and you'll stop because you're going to train your mind i don't stop i go i go i go when the person's down and i can get disengaged and step back and get out of there, then I can reflect on the do's and don'ts or what I did right and what I did wrong. But the most important thing is to save your life, save yourself from getting pummeled on the ground, save whoever you're around. So, Yeah, and you've never had to actually use your skill sets in, in, a, in a, 
in a real fight. Am I right? Not Krav Maga, not since I've been training in Krav Maga. No, I've, I've certainly been in my share of fights throughout my lifetime, but no, I haven't. But I, I know what I'm going to do. I know exactly what I'm going to do because that's the only way I train. It's every, I don't know, if, if you see me throw a weak punch or do something weird sometime, please tell me because <laughs> I always think that I'm going 100% every time. Right. Every time I get a chance to practice it, if I show you guys something, I'm going to show you 100%. Every time I get a chance to kick, like the front kicks today, I didn't throw a manby pamby front kick because if I have to throw that front kick, I want to deliver it as fast and as strong as I can every time and break somebody. Yeah, which um, it's it also led to an interesting conversation about your shoulder. So one of the things that I was uh, helping you with today was your uh, supraspinatus and and uh, just um, some some things that you also do with um, with sports now, focusing more on uh, on your golf, right? Disc golf. Yes. And so we can talk about that a little bit because that's a that's a different sport. Most people don't um, know much about that. I think it'd be interesting to hear about that. But just the uh, the priming, I call it. And I was telling you, as hard as you go, it, you're, you should prime longer. You should warm up longer before you go into these movements because uh, your shoulder needs that extra lubrication. It needs that extra movement. So once you're warmed up, your shoulder feels fine. And that's um, years and years, too, of hitting the mitts. And then also um, probably your overhead throws in disc golf. So one of the things that I'm always talking to my athletes about, the shorter your race, for example, if you're running uh, under two minutes for an 800, you have, to, you have to warm up for a good hour before you run that race. Um, so as explosive and as, um, as, as fast as you are, we have to be able to put the brakes on. We have to be able to decelerate properly. And, and when we don't, that's, that tends to be where a lot of the pain comes from. And, and uh, even sometimes just the nervous system trying to shut things down before you get hurt, right? But um, we went over some protocol for you today just for that. And I think that'll be really useful. But talk, talk to us a little bit about your uh, journey here in the gym, why you started. I know you had sciatic nerve pain. So people out there listening, a lot of people suffer from sciatic nerve issues or lower back pain. And yet, you know, you, you're very active and you wanted to be able to continue to do things like, uh, you know, frisbee. do I say Frisbee uh, golf? Is disc that? golf. Disc, disc golf. golf. Yeah. Okay. So I talk to uh, the listeners a little bit about that as a sport and what your why is there, and then uh, we can talk about uh, what we're doing to allow you to do those things. Certainly. Yeah, so uh, interesting about you. This is going to be a new one for you, too. So uh, what happened with me in disc sports? When I went to Florida State University from Fort Lauderdale, at the time in Fort Lauderdale, older people you remember, Frisbee had a black disc called the Master, and it was kind of a big size, 160-gram disc. It was a big one, and we were throwing that in the street all the time, and I went up to Florida State University, walking through the quad, walking around, going class to class, and I keep seeing these Frisbee guys, and they're throwing this disc with a lot of spin on it, and they're delaying it on their nails. So imagine it coming, floating in, spinning really fast, and it lands on their nail, and they're balancing it. And then they're doing all these tricks, turning it over, over through the legs, spinning around, and it, it come to find out that's called freestyle in, in the Frisbee world. Back then, it, everybody said Frisbee. They didn't say disc. So... Come to find out, the university has a Frisbee disc club. So I was 
walking by, standing there, watching these guys. Every time I'd go by, I'd stand and watch because I loved the flight of the disc. For some reason, when we were kids, we'd just sit in the road and throw it back and forth, throw it back and forth because the flight to me is amazing and to be able to try to control it. So these guys are like, okay, you know, you're hanging around here all the time. What, this is what we want you to go do. Go to the store, buy this 165-gram world-class Frisbee. Get a little razor blade. There's some protruding letters on the bottom. you got to pop all those off. you got to get yourself a can of silicone spray and a rag. Get some little fake nails you apply on super glue. Spin this thing on your nail. When you can spin this thing on your nail, come back. Wow. <laughs> we'll, we'll start teaching you the freestyle part. So when it come, you know, to make a long story short, I played at the, on the Frisbee Disc Club at Florida State University for two years before I came to Nevada. And uh, there's eight sports that we would we would do, you know, from ultimate to disc golf to things people have never heard of. Um, so I did that. And then when I came out to the university here, I started the ultimate at the university. You know, I got all, started with all the guys in my dorm. So we started playing ultimate. We played disc golf. I, a good friend of mine, Don Welsh, who's a world-class mountain climber, he's, he, he was my freestyle partner. So I, I made everybody learn how to spin the disc, and I picked the guy who could, could help me out the most because I, I, I wanted to continue playing. And a great thing about coming out onto the West Coast is the Frisbee World Championships were on the West Coast. Maybe some people remember they would show them every once in a while. They'd be in the Rose Bowl, and they would have these events, and then they'd have the dogs in there and stuff. Well, I went down to La Mirada, California in 1985 and 86 to the Frisbee Disc World Championships. So that's what that was really my focus then, and that's kind of what I'd love to do. And played Ultimates for several years after that, and then got to the point where I was tearing my calf muscle playing Ultimate. We talked about that, you know, things that I could have done to avoid that, but that kind of stopped my Ultimate career. And so I just loved throwing the disc, so I, I gravitated fully to just playing, playing disc golf. So that's what was going on there. And then all of a sudden, um, Matt Pendola calls me one day out of the blue, totally out of the blue. Hey, Neil, how are you doing? I mean, I hadn't talked to you for years. And you called me. And we sat down over at uh, Whole Foods and had lunch and just chatting. And he said, hey, so how's it going? I go, well, God, man, it's really weird that you called because I've like got this weird thing going on with my back now. And I've been babying it and babying it. And I can't ride my mountain bike hardly. And I can play disc golf and can't run and but you know I want to play disc golf and he just said well let me know if you ever want to come into the gym and then one night I was sitting at home on the couch and I had a complete back failure I was sitting there in the totally worst posture possible as you have taught me cross-legged on the couch sitting deep with my laptop on my lap and all of a sudden for the very first time in my life I couldn't move and obviously everybody who's who's had problems with their sciatic nerve, they understand exactly what I'm saying. And it was the most debilitating night of my life. And trying to figure out how to get off that couch took me about two hours. And the rest of the night was horrible, and I called you the next day. And I, here, here we are. Over three years later, I've never felt better. Oh, thank you. I, I remember that. And, of course, <clears throat> I remember talking to you, and you were saying that you were – actually doing a piriformis type of smash movement uh, on top of a ball and and, uh, and you know those that's where smr can it can it can do more harm than good uh, and of course you weren't aware that uh, compressing on top of that nerve wasn't a great idea at the time um, and i remember just uh, thinking to myself man here's a guy that 
he's obviously so well in tune with his body and it sounds like you graduate um, or you gravitate rather towards hand-eye coordination type of sports and and uh, these are things that you really enjoy doing but as you've said just knowing uh, insertions, actions, origins of the of the body, that's not really something that you learned about. So that's where I felt like I could help you a little bit more. But the reason why I initially called you and said, hey, can we have uh, lunch and get together is because of the type of person that you are. And at the time, part of my mentorship that I was doing, I wanted to surround myself with good people that I respect and then learn more about them. You know, how, how do they live, you know, making their decisions about, you know, uh, finances and family and fitness and fun, all those things. And how do they balance those things out? And of course, at the time you are still a real estate agent. And, uh, of course, Everyone trusts you. Uh, when I say everyone, I don't know a single person that doesn't have brilliant, beautiful things to say about Neil because, you know, really you're the type of person who you are, who you say you are. And even though you're selling houses, um, it's, it's always done with, with honesty. And, and I know that you're not the type of person that puts um, yourself above others. So if I were going to buy a house from you, I would certainly trust what you had to say to me. And uh, that can be rare in an industry like that or like mine. And that's why I called you too, because just being around people like you, it gives me some influence and um, puts me in sometimes the right direction. It might be something as simple, Neil, as deciding that I don't want to take a certain sponsor for this show because it's not the right thing to do for my audience that trusts what I have to say. And I've, I've had uh, sponsorship offers before, and it doesn't mean that it was uh, the company was a bad company, but it just isn't what I want to influence people on, and it's not something I'm personally going to use or have been using, then it's not something that I'm going to put out there. And I've learned those type of lessons from people like you because you're authentic. When I know about people like you is that you are who you say you are and everybody around you feels like they can trust what you're doing or saying. And that's that took years and years and years for me to develop that in my own mindset. In fact, before the podcast started, we were just talking about the Dunning-Kruger effect where when I was younger, I felt like I had to, I guess, be a certain person, a certain type of coach that I had to impress people with what I knew. And it's funny because you get to a point where you meet coaches that are better than you and they're true gurus. And I might've at that time been in it for 10 years and they've been in it for 30 and then realizing, wow, there's a lot more that I need to learn. And then when you do start to learn these things and start to honestly realize what you know now versus 10 years ago, you're, I think, more humbled by it, but you also uh, tend to just uh, kind of keep it in more. You don't have to prove it to everybody. You don't have to sell people on things. And yet I'm talking to somebody who sells houses for a living, very successful at it, but does it honestly. So, um, you know, I know this is probably not something that you necessarily think about because it's just who you are, but how are you an honest salesman? Does that make sense? Yeah, certainly. Yeah, that it's real. You know, if you would have said 
you know, if I would have looked back and said, would I ever be a realtor? Obviously, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have been. I just never even thought of sales really at all. And when when my cousin told me to go get my real estate license, I just I didn't think twice about it. I said, this is a sign. So I went and got my real estate license, learned about what I was going to be doing. And then, you know, obviously here I am selling homes to people. And my approach has always been what is right for the client, right? I never look at, I, I'm never waiting for a paycheck, right? People say, oh my gosh, you do so much, so much work and you do this and you do all these tours for the renown and the med school and da-da-da-da-da. And you, you're just driving people around and showing them Reno. Sometimes they come, sometimes they don't. That's a big part of my business. And I just, things just work out. Yeah, you know, that's, I always, I've always looked at life, no matter what happens, things work out. It may not be perfectly exactly what you want, but if you do good things and you put out good energy and you're always the best you can be, your best self, good things will happen to you. And so when people are in my car and they, we've seen 50 homes and, you know, I, I never say, do you want to go buy it? Hey, we writing an offer today? They'll let me know when they want to buy a house, when they list their house, you know, this is what I think the range your house whatever you want to put on the market for we'll do that and then we'll figure it out so it's never about a paycheck to me it's always about doing the right thing for my client and then the paychecks just seem to come so I don't that's just that's how I've lived my life though it's never been about selling anybody anything yeah that's so I'm smiling as you're talking because uh I'm not saying I've done it as well as you have but I feel like that is similar in different businesses but same philosophies when I'm coaching my clients, I'm really just trying to keep myself involved in their process and what's going to help them get to their goals. And when I'm talking to somebody about what we can do, I try not to talk in absolutes, for example, because I hate it when I hear absolutes. Like that's a sales pitch to me. You're, you know, you're going to lose this amount of weight in 30 days, or mm -hmm. you're going to jump this much higher if you do my program, or you're going to take a minute off your 5k time if you just listen to me right i don't make those kind of promises but what i do try to do is focus on each person and each individual and i had a um a, a really nice message from one of my athletes fathers uh, sent sent a message to me last night and it was beautiful i just yeah honestly some i get i guess some emotional when it comes to my athletes but i teared up a little bit just reading it because it was just an appreciation about listening to her and also um, sort of verifying some things that, that um, she was talking about. And I don't want to reveal specifics, but just saying that she, she just needed somebody to do that. And, and that's sometimes all my role comes down to, as simple as that. And she's an amazing person, an amazing athlete, and sometimes uh, just having – somebody there who's talking to her after the session's over. No, nobody's paying me to sit there and listen to her, you know, to talk or to have that conversation. But I'm happy to to have those conversations because I, you know, I really enjoy people and I enjoy the process with them. But what that does do, and I've tried to explain this to trainers for years now, especially trainers just asking me, like, how are – how have you gotten to this point? And even if you want to say just financially, you know, how have you gotten to this point where, where you're secure and, and your business is secure and even, you know, over COVID, like I, I feel like I'm more secure 
then and I feel blessed that way. But at the same time, when it came to opening the doors back up, it was not a problem about it was just how many people can I safely take in? It wasn't a problem about trying to recruit more people back in. And that took years to develop that sort of thing, that trust. But also, you know, Neil, I do think that when you over deliver um, and you're doing it for the right reasons and you just perform those those basic, uh, you know, services, then that's what builds that bond and that trust and, you know, that compliancy. So, you know, I feel like the client retention that I've had over the years has always been um, – what has uh, sort of been my secret weapon because I don't, I don't really have to go keep looking for more clients because clients I have pretty much stay. Um, so, you know, I, I feel like what you just said just falls right and along the lines of that where I've never really looked at the bottom dollar. In fact, if I'm being completely honest, I don't know how much I make a year. My wife knows and she does the billing and that's fine. But that's not what drives me and that's not what I care about. I do, I care that I make enough that I can support and take care of my family. But other than that, that's not my driving force. Uh, so I really appreciate hearing that from you and that's why I try to surround myself with people like you. But in, in closing, Neil, I just wanna kind of leave um, people with things that they can think about and what type of goals that uh, they can have because after COVID, some of us are lost too. and in their goals and, and what they can do next. And I just love, again, how active you are. You're the kind of person who goes out and enjoys the outdoors and you uh, really have a, a beautiful balance in your life with, with your, uh, with your family and, and uh, also just with your, with yourself. So um, what maybe tips could you give the audience about living a healthy, well-balanced lifestyle, Neil, that, that you, you do yourself that you think, um, most people could benefit from. That's a, that's a tough question there. I'm full of tough questions today. (laughs) Yeah. You know, my, my lifestyle, I've, I've been living the way I have, you know, when my diet and exercise and getting out, I, is so important to me. And I've always looked at it like, you know, I don't want to be that person, if I can help it, obviously, you know, life throws twists to you. So you do the best you can. And then you hope your body responds properly. And you don't get any of the weird things that happen to us all. But uh, I've always thought, you know, I just got to keep moving every day, I got to get outside, I got to do something. And if I have a day off, that's okay. But I'm always trying to figure out not how how to not have a day off. I've got to get my work in, obviously, in a, you know, with a real, real estate career that I've been in for this long now. It's, it's just nonstop. But I've got to make time for myself. I've been here for a few hours today for Krav Maga, and then you're fixing me, and here we are talking now, and then it's back to work, and then I'll probably end up going for a nice walk tonight. But I'm always thinking, I want to get out. I want to do something. I want to keep moving. I want to stay as healthy as I can so that, you know, I, I, I just want to be that parent if I can help it by my actions, be around for my kids, you know, be around and be an old guy. And my kids, Hey, I still have my dad. I still have my mom. Uh, my wife's the same way. She's super, super active and busy. Um, and, and she's one of the main reasons we have such great kids, um, due to her active lifestyle and, and the athlete she was and always has been. So I would say, you know, keep moving, keep moving, get your rest, 
get your physical activity, eat well. Um, I think that's real, real important. I love that last part because they say that you age rapidly when you stop moving, right? So when you no longer feel like getting out of that chair anymore and you're kind of just sitting all day, that's when the aging process really takes over quickly and rapidly. And so you're a perfect example of, wow, it's like you drink from the fountain of youth, but I think you just explained why. And there's a, there's a good altruistic balance in your life and uh, you keep it simple and you just keep moving. And uh, I will say, by the way, to finish this though, you're not a man to brag and you, you don't have any excuses, but you keep moving even when it's not easy to keep moving and you find the answers. I know that about you. And you said that uh, earlier I fixed you. No, I don't fix anybody. I might have shown you some things that will help benefit you. And well, I, I hope I did, but you will fix you because you'll do these movements every day. And I know you, I know that you commit to those things and that's why you're able to keep moving. So pleasure to have you in here, uh, Neil. And of course I am looking forward to more Krav Maga from you. <laughs> Do I say Krav Maga or Krav Maga? Krav Maga. Krav Maga. I know yeah. that probably the Krav Maga people out there are just like, oh my God, who is this guy? Why is he even talking about our sport? Um, but I am enjoying it so far. I'm a newbie, but it's kind of fun having a new challenge. And as I train for my ultra, uh, my ultra run, I'm, I'm looking for something that does have more uh, cross conditioning to it. And I think this is a great sport to try. So looking forward to more of it, brother. All right. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for having me. All right. So guys, thanks again for listening to another episode of the Pandola Project. Please don't forget, if you like us, then like us. So uh, send us a nice review. We'd really appreciate that. You know, uh, five stars is always nice. And uh, if you want to get a part of our newsletter, be a part of that culture, that family, those newsletters come out every month. You can just go to our website, www.pandolatraining.com and sign up there. And I don't, I almost always, speaking of not, caring about uh, sales as much and, and things like that. But we do have online programming that we've set up and we do have listeners that are following our programming. So if you are interested in any of that, you can certainly email my wife, Erin at PandolaTraining.com and ask her for more information about our online training programs. All right, guys, we'll talk to you next time. 